This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to another Blunt Business on CannabisRia.com. And this week, we're welcoming back a returning guest who has extensive experience helping scores of clients from individual entrepreneurs to publicly traded companies navigating complex cannabis disputes and successful business strategies. Partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland & Hart, based in Denver, Colorado. I get to welcome back Rachel Gillette to the program. Rachel, come up, welcome on back. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So if I'm right, it was last May we spoke together, and it was really just a chance to go on a longer uh, scale about what you do and, and just the various issues in the cannabis industry with your role at Holland & Hart. So we're getting a lot of talk about the consumption lounges and really the hospitality industry where cannabis is being intertwined now. And so there's a few things that are happening now where we're getting the, the phrase cannabis friendly as part of the amenities and various resorts. I actually had somebody just speak to me. It was at a resort. Uh, they started up in Jamaica and I'm going to bring up one right now. This is based in Arizona, but then also the big story we've had is that in Las Vegas, about 20 licensees have been given clearance to go ahead and set up consumption lounges. And I wanted to get as much of a take from your expertise about this. So first of all, elevation, elevations with hotels and resorts based out of Arizona. In January, they announced they will convert the Artisan Hotel Boutique, which is just off the Las Vegas Strip. Now, they're based in Arizona, but this is a Las Vegas-based hotel. It's the Lexi they're going to be converting, a 64-room hotel with the entire fourth floor designated as cannabis-friendly. Elevations also owns and operates the Clarendon Hotel and Spa in Phoenix, also laying claim to be their state's first cannabis-friendly hotel. So you've been following all this, and... You have had some chance to go and just look at what's been going on. Talk to me, Rich, about this idea in broad terms about the amenities and the guest experience and how it will ultimately be different and how you think Vegas location will perform. I mean, this idea of any red tape or obstacles that are going to be met because of trying to create, for instance, a hotel with a floor that is cannabis friendly and having that as part of the experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I think these are experiences and uh, destinations that 
cannabis consumers want, and there certainly aren't enough of them. And so, I mean, this idea of having a cannabis-friendly hotel, let's say many have tried, but many have also failed right. in this endeavor. And that's because there's a lot of regulatory challenges, right? Because um, uh, one of the biggest challenges being some of restrictions on on public, open and public consumption, that's that's part of many states' laws. And so, you know, hotels usually have liquor licensed premises, or in the case of Las Vegas, they may might have a gaming license. And those licenses may prevent them from being able to offer, you know, consumption at their facility because liquor licensed premises are considered public places. And so there's restrictions on on open and public consumption, potentially. I'm venturing to guess that the Lexi Hotels probably isn't going to have a gaming license, that it's going to be a hotel only. So they're able to offer sort of cannabis-friendly rooms. It sounds like they're designing their hotel in a way that it won't um, absorb smells and things like that. But I do think that this is something that consumers want and they desire. So I think it's a it's a it's a good idea. Unfortunately for Las Vegas, the fact that they're issuing twenty consumption licenses, I don't think that's enough for the amount of potential consumers that want to have a safe, nice indoor place to be able to consume cannabis. Because the big problem with a lot of states that have legalized cannabis is that they've failed to consider where are people going to actually consume the product. And, you know, if you can't consume it uh, publicly or you can't consume it in all of the Vegas strip hotels with gaming licenses, what does that leave people to do? I mean, I've been to Vegas a lot. Um, and I've seen people get kicked off the gaming floor for consuming cannabis via like, vape vent. However, cigarettes are able to be smoked uh, pretty openly and, and are so. So, I mean, I just think that this is, uh, you know, the the next pr- progression in ending prohibition of cannabis is for states to be providing places where people can consume. But um, you know, I I don't think they're doing it fast enough, and I don't think they're doing it with enough um, licenses being offered, actually. Colorado has the same issue. I mean, we legalized cannabis a very, very long time ago, medical in 2010, adult use in 2012. Uh, we had our regulations implemented in 2014. But well, again, we, uh, we Rachel, can I just real quick? Because I want to ask you specifically yeah. about Colorado, because there is a hospitality that is in Colorado. And I remember talking to one of the guests here, Chris Chiari, CEO and co-founder and the founder of 420 mm-hmm. Hotels. And he yeah. operates the Patterson Inn, which is a a smaller inn. And I forget how many rooms were within this, but it was an area where he created it is in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Denver. And he was including a lounge that would be converted into a consumption space for guesting at the hotel. This was back in April of last year when I spoke with him. I don't know if it's gone, how far he's gone since. We have not talked to him again since. But in the same area, it's obviously this has been burgeoning. Have you had any chance to learn anything about, you know, from any examples within Colorado? Obviously, the consumption lounge idea has been has been implemented. And, you know, from what you've seen there and maybe just uh, what you might have been uh, involved in any way, somewhat directly or indirectly, you know, sure. the bigger the size of the venue uh, of the of that particular resort, the more issues. So uh, interesting. Um, 
So I'm familiar with the Patterson Inn. Uh, you have to understand that we've had legalized cannabis for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And we actually, the city of Denver passed uh, um, Proposition 300 back in 2016, uh, which was this concept of allowing social use and, and consumption lounges in some form. And then later on, the state passed some laws to allow for licensing of consumption lounges statewide. But local jurisdictions also have to have an ordinance and have to approve it. And unfortunately, Denver has made it incredibly difficult to be able to get these consumption licenses. And so I think at the entire state, there are less than 10 actual licenses for hospitality or consumption. And that's just not enough for a state where people come to visit Colorado because we have legalized cannabis. We have a huge tourist industry. We have ski towns. We have all of these beautiful places that people want to visit. And they think cannabis is legal, but they really, they, you know, they can't go smoke it in their hotel room that they booked or they can't go. There's no place for them to consume it once they buy it at the store if they're not, you know, if, unless it's their own home. And so this is a big problem. I mean, the city of Denver, there are probably three or four consum licensed consumption lounges. Patterson Inn might be one of them. I'm not exactly sure whether they're actually licensed yet. But I mean, it, the what's happened at the local jurisdictions as well as the state make the process a little bit too difficult to be able to have like a real impact. And so we still have these issues. And look how many bars we have in Vegas and look how many bars we have in Denver. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, the whole goal of, of le legalizing cannabis it was to regulate like alcohol. We certainly aren't doing that. So I do think there needs to be sort of some of the red tape has to be gotten rid of to allow businesses to not only operate, but be profitable. And, you know, I do think that people need a safe place to consume outside of the home, um, just like they want a safe place to consume alcohol. So it goes with the government, where any kind of implementation of what's being allowed. And then, you know, trying to intertwining about if it's just cannabis only exclusive to having it would be with alcohol or it's uh, I we have a, actually a show that's coming on cannabis radio is going to be premiering very shortly. We've already recorded three episodes. And just listening back to what the discussion was with them, the company, which I won't make a thing, was, well, actually, it's a, the Standard, uh, our black market group. And they're going to be showing, premiering a show here on Cannabis Radio called Cultural High. It'll be first time announcing it on the program. They have one of the Las Vegas licenses. And when the host on the program tried to ask, what is it going to look like? He couldn't give much detail. Legally, you know, could not really disclose much. But he was saying the fact is, it's going to be bigger than, think more of a nightclub, think more of an atmosphere that's, you know, a, a larger space. It's not something that will be like, would you see like with a regular bar or a kava bar or anything like that? It's just something will be much different. But there's not much. We also just have to wait and see what's being done in terms of what Las Vegas is going to do about all this. Now, in terms of what's being prepared for this hotel, I want to take from the street.com that with this hotel we were talking about, okay, the Lexi, that this 64-room hotel is expected to open in April, according to them. And it will have a floor, the, in the cannabis-friendly fourth floor, it will have enhanced air filtration as well as no carpets, heavy drapes, or other materials known for absorbing smoke. And the CEO of Elevation Hotels says, quote, we definitely want to create a more elevated experience. We are cannabis-inclusive, but not cannabis-centric. We want all people, whether they want to partake or not, to feel welcome and really destigmatize the use of cannabis. Now, 
Uh, other things they have, by the way, so in terms of amenities for Lexi, they're saying they'll offer shuttles to local dispensaries, a steakhouse run by former Hell's Kitchen contestant Jordan Savelle, and a European-style top optional pool. Their idea is to isolate this fourth fort. So the being cannabis-friendly does not mean that's going to be consuming the entire establishment. They want to make it where there's a concentrated area, plus they're doing ramifications to make sure that it's only on that floor and nothing else. It's like almost like the idea of smoking and not smoking rooms again. I can understand why they're doing it. I mean, you have to step into this with, with some amount of trepidation or caution because you don't know what is the bridge too far, right? I do think it's a good start. I mean, I imagine that, you know, things that are going to evolve over the next years, decades, whatever, especially if we have the legalization of cannabis at the federal level. I think because it remains federally illegal, you know, investors, business owners, they step into this, especially with big projects like the Lexi, with some amount of caution. And so I understand why they want to, you know, have one floor to start and then see sort of where it goes or see where the demand is, et cetera, um, because these are sort of new ideas and new new ventures that people are, are doing. I mean, I, I think it sounds great, but I mean... The one thing that that always surprises me with some of the regulations, and this was the case in Colorado, I'm I'm not sure it's the case in in Las Vegas, but I, I understand the concept of not combining consumption of cannabis with consumption of alcohol. However, that's been taking place in bars and nightclubs across right. the United States for right. as long as I can remember. But but you know what I never understood was not combining consumption of cannabis with food because that's like the best combination ever. And I do believe there's going to be some uh, availability of food in these consumption lounges. That's my understanding. Uh, there may be some entertainment and other things like that. Um, in, in Denver, for example, the first round of regulations under Initiative 300, they don't even allow food to be served in these consumption lounges, which to me makes no sense whatsoever. So I, I would love to see an, a concept of, of a restaurant where you can uh, both consume cannabis if you want the same way you would enjoy a glass of wine at dinner. No, uh, that's, well, that, but this brings up a good point because of the fact that we've had a lot of changes in smoking laws anyway. I mean, in Florida, I know right. it wasn't over a decade ago that we had it where, you know, smoking wasn't allowed indoors in public places in Colorado just to give, you know, because you're there. The the Colorado Clean Indoor Air Act, which is requiring right. most indoor workplaces and public places to be smoke and vapor free, and that's including restaurants, bars, and casinos. Now, in Nevada, or Las Vegas specifically, their Nevada Clean Air Act allows outlaw smoking indoors with the exception of tobacco stores, strip clubs, private residences, some standalone bars, and, of course, casinos. So there is the part where, you know, and I guess that's where it comes from where if you're going to do it any other state, you have to follow what's the standard smoking laws, the clean indoor air acts that are applied. But Vegas gives a little more leeway. So it, with what, what they're doing in Vegas right now with the Lexi, that would stand within the clean indoor air act there. But you couldn't do that in most of you anywhere else unless you just do the smoking. You have a, uh, an outdoor smoking section, which that's not going to be possible in Vegas. Nobody's going to sit right, up there right. and half the year and do that. It's impossible. And it's it's not possible in most states. I would venture to say that even 
outdoor eating areas, you're not going to be able to uh, smoke or vape uh, in a restaurant, for example. But yeah, I mean, Vegas is unique. Vegas, I mean, that's what makes it so fun and what a great destination to visit, right? Because you can, you have all of these different things that a little bit more freedom to do uh, all of those things that you, you know, other places say you can't do or you shouldn't do. You know, I mean, I think um, I, I, I understand and I'm, I'm more than happy to comply, obviously, with yeah. a smoke-free environment, especially when I'm uh, consuming food and stuff like that. But we're going to go to commercial break. Let's go and come on back. We'll talk more sure. because I want to dig more into the issues because, I mean, it's it's a really it's it's so jumbling because there's I mean, it's kind of hard to really get the clarity of understanding I mean, you as an attorney to just try to get the real. Give me the clarity. Give me the give me the, the ordinance. Give me the rules here so we can properly apply. But. Some of this is just very cloudy, and I'm not trying to put a pun out there, but it's true. I'm here with Rachel Gillette, partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart here on Blunt Business. And we're going to talk more about in Vegas itself, There are even right now, there are changes that are still being considered before these consumption allowances come to effect. And how is it going to affect those consumption allowances once they open? We're going to talk about that after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Boat Business. I'm here with Rachel Gillette, the partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart. And I wanted to get to you from the street.com, the story about how before the break, we were talking about the Lexi Hotel or they're, they're going to be uh, turning it. It's a 64 room hotel uh, just off of the Vegas Strip that will be designated, designating their fourth floor of their hotel as cannabis friendly. Now, 
we know there are other consumption lounges, about 20 or some odd licenses have already been uh, issued. But we were talking before the break about the issues of where is the Clean Indoor Air Act apply for states like Nevada or in Las Vegas proper or Colorado or any other states? And just having the understanding of where consumption lodges, in this specific case, always when Vegas gives that extra freedom, that's why the casinos are allowed to be where they are and operate the way they do with smoking allowed. And these consumption lodges should be able to go and have that same kind of freedom. But there's still a lot more to be said. Now, Las Vegas, they say, has a cannabis conundrum. The city allows the sale of cannabis for recreational use, but only allows it to be smoked in private residences. So people visiting the Las Vegas Strip, Fremont Street, or any part of the city are technically breaking the law when they light up. And Nevada's been trying to take steps to correct this. They set the framework for legal consumption lounges, and two other players are close to giving Las Vegas tourists a plan to legally and comfortably comfortably light up the joints, pipes, or other messes of smoking cannabis. So they're trying to go ahead and reestablish the framework so that smoking is allowed and work past what's been an existing Clean Indoor Air Act. So the changes being implemented to cannabis users, Rachel, giving a safe haven to smoke or shelter to enjoy the, in their own suite. You know, when you look at that, what, what have you seen as being done that could make that all be legal for anybody that spoke if they want in the hotel or outside as they want? Yeah, so as far as the cannabis conundrum, this is uh, not only Las Vegas, but most states. Okay. They haven't um, put enough consideration into where people can smoke cannabis, especially if they don't live in uh the particular state that that they happen to be in consuming that 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 is a big conundrum and it's a big issue (laughs) but the reality is i mean vegas is interesting because i find it funny that you can consume alcohol and walk down the street with a beer on the strip because that's legal correct i mean i'm not a las vegas attorney but that's legal but you can't consume cannabis uh on the strip the same way you would consume one of those giant margaritas that people walk around with, um, which I think is really funny because we all know that alcohol comes at a pretty high social cost um, and it can be quite dangerous <laughs> in certain circumstances and uh, it affects people in, in a certain way. Um, so, you know, I what I can say is that I don't think that the city has issued enough licenses to really deal with the demand. Now, a lot of businesses might not like me saying that. My understanding, too, is that um, they issued a number of the licenses to the the already established dispensaries as well, which I think is good and makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, once uh, there's going to be a really a pretty good demand for uh, for people going to these places... I worry a little bit about how far removed they may be from the ple- from the places that people sleep or stay, uh, because I do believe there's a setback requirement, correct? Right. Well, the thing, too, I don't know, how can anybody feel comfortable, be able to go ahead and, well, we've always had this, this stigmatization of where you're able to go and smoke cannabis, because there's always a thought, well, are we sure that this is to be criminalized, that we're not going to have any law enforcement 
that's going to go, you know, they're going to go on their own vice and maybe have some issue with somebody that's lighting up. That's the same issue happens here. Like, there's just so many, it's almost like somebody, you know, concealing and carrying a weapon. It's like there's just so many rules that are you putting in, and then things can change at any time depending on where you are. And if everybody's going to be on the same page about it, that's the issue I have here is that there's nothing that really gives any guidance, either from the government level, the state level, that really makes everybody understand, okay, if the lounges come into play, then give us the place where we can actually smoke. That's the, it's the same like anywhere anybody else before. You know, for those in the casinos, okay, they have areas that are smoking, some of that are non-smoking. And there's other areas when it comes to restaurants where smoking is allowed or whatever. The smokers want to know, just tell me where I can smoke. The same thing for the cannabis users. Why cannabis right. and tobacco are not looked at hand in hand? At this case, that's also been the part that always comes into play where, okay, the Clean Hither Act has to be rewritten to include cannabis use, but none of these states have done that, correct? Uh, I don't know, to be honest, whether or not states haven't rewritten their Clean Indoor Air Acts. I know that Colorado rewrote theirs a few years back to include vaping. Okay. Um, which, you know, it's any type of smoke, I believe. So I don't know that they have to specify tobacco versus lighting up, you know, some herbal cigarette versus cannabis. Um, it's just smoke and it's vape. Because most important, Colorado, and that's the best part about you being there, is because when the when laws and rules are applied, Colorado's always been the tip of the spear. They've always been among all the other states that have, have adult use or medical use cannabis. You know, the rules always start applying where if Colorado makes a change, then it kind of just spreads down and it just it works its way down like a domino effect. And then other states will follow suit. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, we were in, we were very, very behind in uh, social consumption laws. So allowing hospitality license, social consumption lounges, uh, those types of things. I mean, that didn't happen until very, very recently. We were way behind because we didn't consider social equity in our original set of regulations. And that just came in very, very recently. Whereas other states are actually considering these things right out of the gate when they decide to legalize cannabis. They are they are saying this is an essential element of our regulatory framework is is having at least some type of licensing or permitting where people can actually consume cannabis or go to a, an event where cannabis consumption is allowed and those types of things. So Colorado is progressive in a lot of ways, but we forgot about a lot of things. <laughs> Because we're so focused on other things, I guess. But, um, but you know, I mean, we're trying to address it. But like I said, I mean, it's it's something that has been very, very slow to roll out, uh, unfortunately. And I think, um, you know, my guess is that Las Vegas, which is a pretty big city, is going to have more consumption lounges by tenfold than Denver does in a very short order. Because they also have the rules in place for them to allow to have more freedom of what they could do within those lounges as well. Now, yes. I want to bring up this point because this is the other part I always think about as well. So those licensees, I mean, there might be some people that, are, that have licenses, and I'm not sure of all who have them. But I know there are quite a few of them. I already talked to a couple that have had licenses that are they're, they're pretty, pretty big-sized companies, or at least they have the background for that as such. But... 
the new law will allow many dispensaries to add consumption lounges. So the dispensary could add that as well in this new setup. But so far, none will be located on casino-occupied property. So this is the part that Vegas has to deal with. But you're going to try to persuade all these people after all these years to make them go somewhere that's outside of the casinos. When everybody basically goes, and then anything that's attached when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to dining, they're all attached to casinos. Just about all. So now, the likes of Caesars Entertainment and MGM Resorts International, they dominate the strip. They do not want them. And because as long as cannabis remains illegal under federal law, they are not going to be a part of it. So they have the pool in the city. And even with the consumption lodges anywhere else, if there was somebody else that was, you know, very prominent or corporate or just a very big company that was behind operating all these lounges, I would imagine, you know, the governments might be a little more receptive, if you will. But now, does this give new lounges leverage for the time? Like, do you feel like the lounges now, we know at about a three to five year uh, gap before we see legalization maybe even be brought up to a vote federally? At least for me, I think mm-hmm. federal oversight, we might see three to five years. I've already been seeing that all year on this program. Is that enough time for these lounges to establish themselves once the casinos say, okay, legalization's in, we're going to make our own consumption lounges, you know, will there be enough time for these lounges to establish themselves before the bigger monster casinos come in and, you know, corner the market? Yeah, I mean, I, (laughs) let's just say I don't think casinos uh, are against it. I think they're waiting for federal legalization. So, you betcha they're going to want to have not only a place where people can buy cannabis in the casino, but also a place where people can consume it in the casino. Oh, they want to spend in the casino themselves in their own little food courts, whatever they got. Yeah. Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, once federally legal, they they want that. That's going to be a money-making enterprise. So, I, I mean, you know, the thing that I find frustrating about this concept, too, with social consumption is, is really figuring out or, or having businesses try to figure out how to really monetize this, right? Because casinos, I mean, they know, like people love sitting at casinos, sitting at slot machines. They're making money, you know, just people being there. They they have, uh, they want people to stay there, right? They want people to stay in the casinos. So I'm sure once it's federally legal, um, they will be pushing for allowing not only sales, but consumption in those hotels and casinos. But, you know, I think the question arises, and this may be one of the reasons in Denver, for example, or in other places where there really isn't a big market, uh, or I should say a lot of licensees for social consumption is because it's really like, how do you how do you make money at it? How, how do you profit from consumption? Do you charge people a cover charge, like a nightclub, or do you... Um, can you, if if you're not allowed to sell it, if it, all the sales have to take place in the dispensary, or you have limited sales, can you really make a lot of money from that? Do you add entertainment? Do you add food and beverage? Do you add cannabis mocktails or something like that? I mean, it's it's that I think is the biggest question, especially in a city like Denver, when where we have so many restrictions on what so you know consumption lounges can and can't do. That it's it's really hard to sort of monetize this to a profit uh, making venture, um, and I think businesses right. struggle with that. 
I actually did talk about, uh, well, another person that also has a licensee coming up, Christopher Laporte of Reset Vegas. I talked to him back in October last year. And we were going through what some of the things that could be done in these lounges. I remember MJ Biz Daily also reporting this back in August, uh, talking about how the lounge hopefuls were looking at the strategies of creating, you know, taking an existing restaurant, including the option of infuse your own food, talk about having, you know, residencies of DJs or having, you know, basically make it a, a nightclub atmosphere and, mm-hmm. you know, just creating just another alternative for people to go and go to. Um, so, okay, for instance, uh, Planet 13. They're looking to also do their own dispensary within their dispensary uh, consumption lounge. And Larry Scheffler back at the time, he would talk about the, about serving regular food and you infuse your own food. So if you have a steak, we would give you a pat of garlic butter with THC, a salad, you can get infused with salad dressing and so on. And the idea would be also having a nightclub company also trying to go ahead and create the, the environment for that as well so that. There's those that come ideas that I've already heard about so far. A curated food and beverage program, creating a nightclub atmosphere. Those are some of the ideas so far to get people in. So, yeah, charge a cover charge. And then the mocktails as well, that would be cannabis-infused cocktails. There's the other thing that you could do. So that would, it would have to be that kind of atmosphere for these consumption lodges to be able to make money. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many questions. I mean, this is a this is so new. And, I mean, what cities and states are probably struggling with uh, in large part, as well as business owners, is sort of how do you balance trying to make money, serving people product, and then making sure that they're safe and there's not overconsumption. And we don't have hundreds of years worth of, you know, alcohol and bar experience to rely on here. This is all new for everybody. Like what and and I think for large part, you know, I know that you know consumables, um, edibles affect people differently uh, than maybe smoking cannabis, so people may be less experienced with it. So I think there's just all these unknowns. Um, so you have to be very careful as a business owner, treading into these waters. Um, but you do have to at the same time balance that with trying to you know, make money and, and have a profit-making venture. So what is the right magic combo, you know, that's going to create a successful business? There isn't, we don't have a, a huge history or examples to sort of figure it out. Um, I can't think of, you know, when we go back to the Lexi, I can't think of one sort of large size hotel like that in the U.S. that, has has done the same thing i don't know there may be i mean maybe i just don't know um but you know we'll we'll see what their the the success the level of success is and what the demand is and all of that but i mean these are these are new and novel and progressive uh ideas and industry this is a nascent industry for the most part even though it's been around for you know a, a many many years in many states so we'll see what these companies come up with. But I certainly am excited to see Las Vegas licensing consumption lounges, hear about the different ideas, business ideas that companies have in in creating these uh, environments that people want to go to. But, but we'll see. 
I mean, <laughs> you'll just see uh, how it works out. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't wait to go to Vegas when when right. uh, some of these are licensed and I can go visit them. So at the moment, we're going to look at uh, more into what's going on in Las Vegas because it's trying to get clarity of what's happening, what there, what's going to be allowed and what can't. We've already gone pretty extensively on what the idea is that these consumption lounges will have, any of the issues you're going to have in terms of whether you're walking into one, what you're able to do when you're inside of one, and what they'll be allowed to have. But the problem is, is that Las Vegas itself still are working on the rules. This is a problem. We're going to have to go back to the night now. We're going to talk more again with Rachel Gillette, the partner and lead of the Cannabis Practice at Holland & Hart. And for those of you that have not gone to already, website for them is Holland and heart.com uh h-o-l-a-n-d-a-n-d-h-a-r-t.com we'll be back with more with Richard Gillette here on Blunt Business after a short break rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business I'm back with final questions with Rachel Gillette of Holland and Hart uh, the cannabis practice lead at Holland and Hart a partner at Holland and Hart the Las Vegas Review Journal recently wrote that rules for upcoming cannabis consumption lounges are soon to come to a vote and the city of Las Vegas has not budged on a proposed 1,000-foot separation requirement between the establishments, which is a regulation that applicants could hamper turning downtown into what they could see as the Amsterdam of the West. And while prospective license holders could apply for a waiver, these businesses could not afford to gamble with the uncertainty of leasing a location, having their waiver denied. And these are proponents telling Seth Floyd, who's the city's director, uh, the city's director of community development, so now, if Vegas were to approve these regulations, the licensees for the 15 prospective provisional Nevada license holders who intend to open a location within city limits could start being issued as early as June. So they're, they're still kind of moving things around. Like there's not anything established yet until these license holders get a chance to be issued. So they've been provisioned, but they haven't been license exactly to be done. I, I'm not sure what the whole deal is so far. Can you give any clarity to that? Setbacks are always an issue for cannabis companies. I mean, there's just a lot of risk because usually it's always the cart before the horse, chicken before the egg or right. whatever, because, you know, you have to find a location, you have to start paying rent, you have to then cross your fingers and apply for a license and hope that you meet sort of all the requirements and you can get the license. So, I mean, setbacks, you know, I just think it really depends on the city, the environment where people are applying for licenses. You know, sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't make any sense whatsoever. So, you know, is the, is the concept that they're a thousand feet from each other, that they can't be within... Um, a thousand feet of each other. And I don't know what they're trying to do because if they're only kind of moving forward on this, they never really gave any clarity as to where things go now that can be done going forward. And it's a matter of, I mean, just the rulings and all of that's been put together has not been made, not been all completely clear, I guess. And yeah. there's still, the thing is in the language itself, about cannabis consumption lounges, it's two from Las Vegas. You know, they're still trying to change the language on it without going into the full detail. But like, for instance, you know, when they're trying to talk about understanding the definition of a adult use cannabis dis distributor 
transportation contractor and saying that they could transport on behalf of the distributor from an adult use cannabis establishment to another establishment. And, you know, either from an independent cannabis consumption lounge to a retail cannabis consumption lounge. Like, there's so much still that has to be proposed. My question is to you, Rachel, is that, you know, if you're looking into this yourself, you know, you might get the licenses here, but it's as if, you know, they keep moving the ball up and down the field. Like, you you know, they're moving the goalposts. It's basically that, and there's no real clarity. I mean, in that case, when you've had issues where there's not enough clarity in here, I mean, what is the best course of action? Yeah, I mean, welcome to the world of the cannabis industry. I mean, you have a constant environment where regulations change on almost a bi-yearly basis. You know, in Colorado, they write regulations every few months. They're coming out with new regulations. And so there is a changing goalpost, as you say. Like, once you figured out one rule, um, then they go and change it on you. And I think a lot of this stems from you know, I pr- I just bring it all back to the fact that it's still federally legal, that states operate, and I teach, you know, I teach um, marijuana regulation at CU Law School, and sort of the theme of my class, I always go back to, everything goes back to the Cole Memorandum when it comes to regulatory frameworks and regulations, because, uh, you know, basically states draft their regulations coming from a position of fear of federal interference. So what do we do? How do we draft these regulations so we make sure that the federal government doesn't come in and arrest us all or start arresting our uh, tourists or consumers or whatever? And so they they do it from a sense of, okay, we have to be very restrictive and instead of what really makes a lot of sense. And I think if you got rid of federal illegality uh, you may see a more common sense approach. We may see regulation like alcohol versus regulation like plutonium, right? Because it just, a lot of these regulations um, are just over the top. <laughs> and we're we're inviting people to the table who never wanted cannabis legal in the first place too, as part of the working groups to draft these these laws. So they're coming from a position of, it shouldn't have never been legal in the first place, so we're going to put up every barrier that we possibly can to make it as difficult as possible for businesses to operate in um, in these cities, towns, states, etc. And that's that's just reality. And I think if we got rid of uh, you know the, the the fear of federal enforcement and we had more clarity, because remember the Cole Memorandum's been rescinded. <laughs> so and if we had more clarity, if we had federal legalization. If we had, you know, less discussion of should we legalize and, okay, we already legalized, so what makes sense um, now that we have this legal, you know, uh, environment? I mean, how many how many times do we have prohibitionists of alcohol sitting at the table when you're drafting alcohol regulations? I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> we, we don't have people sitting at the table uh, for that are you know, anti-alcohol, people have sort of resigned themselves to the fact that alcohol is legal, so how can we regulate it safely? And so, you know, I don't I don't know what the right answer is here, but um, I do think that people who are participating in rulemaking and promulgating these rules need to really think of it 
from a common sense approach. But until we get rid of this barrier of federal prohibition, I understand why they feel that they can't, you know, they still have to come from a position of we don't want we, we have to make sure it's regulated in a way and it's so robustly regulated that we don't cause the federal government to come and interfere with what we're trying to do. There's a lot that we said. The thing is, no matter who I bring on the program, I mean, I appreciate you, Rachel, being able to make time to go and talk to us about this because the consumption lodges in Vegas, it's important to me. And I'm hoping to bring on some other people that are, I'm trying to get somebody on uh, from the Lexi to actually bring them on. I'm actually working on on that. And some other people to go ahead and talk to me. I'm, I'm going to want to get a couple licensees to tell me what their experience is right now getting these up off the ground. So I want to find out about that. And so, I mean, I'm talking to the folks at Planet 13 to bring them on, somebody from Lexity to bring them on, our new shows, I want to bring them on. So we're going to talk about that on future episodes of the program. But at the moment, how bad is it where I'm talking to you and you have all the legal expertise in the world and you deal with this kind of, not anything in Vegas. Let me just make that clear, disclaiming. But you have the understanding and the knowledge of what, if, if you had to go and deal with this right now, say if it's Colorado, because Colorado has their own end of consensual knowledges. We talked about that on the program with the Patterson Inn. There's other facilities, but what are they allowed to do within their own clean indoor air act? We've gone through that pretty extensively. But it's this kind of thing right here. I'm just pointing out the questions. I'm just making the point of, does everybody understand here? Oh, yeah, Vegas consumption lodges. Oh, look, it's going to be grandiose. Yeah, but look at all the red tape you have to go through. And the fact the government in the state or local level, they're still trying to figure this out. They're changing the language as we go along. They're proposing language, a change language that might ultimately make changes to the licensing. And then what are you going to get? Just like you said, are you going to have to go find a new location? Or you have to find another place to lease. Are there certain things you're not going to be allowed to do within the fact that you might be, where you have to go and look around smoking laws, the existing smoking laws, and working around that on top of the fact of cannabis being illegal or maybe not always be being looked at as criminalized and making sure that everybody that's supposed to be enforcing the laws understand it without creating a, ha- a harassment or a hassle. Well, you bring up a very good point, which is education. And I think that uh, the industry is would be wise to take the time and the energy to educate legislators um, because they're creating the laws, right? But they, I don't know that they actually understand why we want cannabis legal, why we want the rules we do, um, you know, why we think a rule might be a little bit too extreme or over the top or unnecessary. Um, or uh, cost prohibitive, for example. So I think actually inviting <laughs> the the lawmakers into the room and saying, this is our business, this is how we operate, this is, I'm a cannabis consumer, this is important to me, and educating uh, the lawmakers. And I, I would say that that's everywhere from your local level uh, to your state to the federal government when they're thinking about passing federal legalization. They really have... they. It's important that they uh, are educated about what this industry is really like, um, because then they can come from a place of having experience or having knowledge rather than, uh, oh, I learned in, you know, when I was 13 that marijuana was awful and it's one of those gateway drugs. And uh, I just 
I don't know why it's being legalized and I'm going to make it as prohibitive as possible to to have a business in this industry. Right. So I, I do think that that can go a very, very long way. Uh, no, they both reach. They have a lot of questions. I, I appreciate you telling about education. I really do. Well, let's also talk about the other scope. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to make it blunt. Blunt is the name of the program. I'm going to say it like this. It's also the lobbying dollars. I hate to say it, but you sure. know, but any of these government officials, these policymakers, they want money. And I've said it myself, where you want legalization to be passed, listen, match the money the big farmers putting out. If they're putting out $200 billion a year in lobbying, compared to what cannabis, with the help of tobacco and alcohol, in, in a joint effort, putting out $40 billion, tells you the difference. And not, and even then, the kind of money being spent specifically on either, whether it's safe banking or the MORE Act or CAOA, it doesn't matter. The money doesn't make a difference. It's like the education can be sent here, and you could try to get them to understand the street, but they're also going to want to say, okay, we understand now, but you know, what are we going to get for it? And that's what it is. It's playing the game as, as set, and, you know, I don't know if those in Vegas right now or other places that would love to do these consumption knowledge, they're great ideas. If you're making the point, you're also creating a safe shelter, a safe haven for people to enjoy and partake. Just like if you're having alcohol, you're going to a bar. I mean, you're going somewhere where it's in place. It's not outside rambling around. You're creating an establishment, and it's for a purpose. And part of what we know is that for cannabis, it's also for a health uh, reason as well because of the benefits. We've all seen it, but it's as if it doesn't matter. If it's uh, the education, you can go ahead and you know beat them over the head, literally with a book to explain or any kind of research or findings you find from any kind of double-blinded clinical trials, whatever there is. No matter what, the money along with the education is what's going to make people budge and not do this kind of stuff right here where we can't get any kind of clarity until June until the actually, you know, all the leases are coming into play, all these businesses are waiting to go ahead and start up, and then they're still kind of, they're in purgatory right now trying to figure out, when are we going to find out some clarity here? We don't know anything yet. This is the part I want to continue to focus on here on the program. I want to know what the other consumption lounge license holders are dealing with right now, because people want to see this happen. Because we know that Vegas, if they get the chance to have these here, Another reason, because they're losing market, uh, you know, traction from other casinos being built up in other places, because obviously if Vegas is not holding on, they're charging too much for resort fees, they're charging too much for parking, they're making it next to impossible to go ahead and make, you know, an affordable experience for a family to go to Vegas, then they better find other things that will bring on over, whether it's, you know, creating more LGBTQ friendly events or having more cannabis friendly events or more cannabis friendly venues. Vegas has to figure this out. And for their sake, they need to get this all figured out. There's a lot of money and a lot of businesses riding on this. You know, I got to ask one more question, too, because in the blog, well, at least make this point real quick, because on the website, on your blog, uh, you may really was something really interesting. And this is good for right now. Is if you made a story about how from the IRS, cannabis operators could be eligible for the qualified business income deduction. For Before we wrap up, I just saw this pop up in my queue. I got to ask you about that. What can you tell me about businesses that might be able to go and have that and kind of put that as a point where why someone like someone for your team could help to get more clarity to this and be able to apply for this income deduction? Sure. So uh, it's a little bit nuanced, but um, 
basically the article is about how the IRS has determined that they're not going to challenge uh, cannabis business owners that uh, claim this this uh, deduction. So uh, I'm happy to get into more detail on it, but it it really has to do with uh, a, a, a credit claimed on a personal tax return of a business owner of a sole proprietorship S corp or LLC or certain trusts. I can't go without having you go ahead and talk to me about Holland Hart, what you're doing right now with the cannabis practice there. So for those that will be interested in learning more of what you're doing, obviously you have the website hollandandheart.com. And if they want to work with you, what should they do? If they want to work with me, they can find me online and they can give me a call and I'd be happy to talk with them. Yeah, I mean, I, my practice is cannabis-focused and uh, we do everything from uh, regulatory to uh, tax, cannabis taxation. In particular, I do a lot of work in 280E and tax, as well as uh, corporate M&A transactional work. Uh, pretty much everything that cannabis has to offer. But I appreciate you inviting me on. So thank you. Rachel, thanks so much for being on with us. Really appreciate you taking time out. And listeners, thanks for listening to another Blood Business. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.